from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. They don't make like good. We're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing and a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. This is the Blitz at Six. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at Six. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Wednesday, May 6th. Ahead in this hour, Jadevi and Clowney speaking out on free agency, how it's been frustrating for him, how he'd like to return to Seattle if that works out, and getting an early start on the rehab process. Also, we got to hear from one of the newest Seahawks yesterday, Greg Olson, on Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll really swaying him in the decision to come to Seattle. So we'll hear from him as well. It's all ahead in this hour. Right now, let's get to your headlines. Free agency has at times been pretty frustrating for the former first overall pick, Jadevian Clowney. Yesterday, he had a message for any team, though, with reservations still about signing him that he's healthy and ready to go ready to contribute he spoke to fox 26 in houston yesterday and of course we came to know him well playing for the seahawks last year uh he talked about how he thought his time would come when free agency opened about six weeks ago but talk stalled and initially that was really frustrating for him when I first free agency opened up, I was I was getting fed up with it, it was nerve wracking. But as I as it set in and as you start hearing about stuff going on, you just start saying, you know what, Bumpy, just get back to doing what you can, just control what you can control. The part as as me training and uh, let them know I still can go. Man, I'm 27 years old. Uh, I love this game and I just want to go out there and compete at a high level. And I'm gonna always do that no matter where I play. I'm competing at a high level. I can do that. Everything with the coronavirus concern obviously slowing things down and teams not able to, who might have concerns about his injury and not able to necessarily visit or bring him in. But Clowney is focused in the meantime on his rehab from the core muscle surgery that he had, which started two weeks after the procedure and involves four sessions each week. He talked about that as well. It's probably very important, man. I got a, uh, to an early start since I had core muscle surgery, uh, sports hernia surgery. I came over here like two weeks after I had it, and uh, I've been here ever since, just strengthening my core and getting back on track and getting ready for next year. I appreciate Danny over here at Plex for getting me going this offseason. I called him a while back after I had the surgery asked him. I said, look, I know y'all got the rehab going on. We over here rehabbing. I've been rehabbing over here ever since for the last two months. And uh, it's going well. It's transitioning to everything else right now, to the football phase. And, and it's taking it one step at a time. And I know I know I'm on my year seven, so I know what I got to do to get what I need to get. So I'm just taking it one day at a time and staying focused. Jadevian Clowney also on uh, the pandemic slowing things down, but he knows that whatever team gets him will get the best version of him. I might have a, a little more than expected. Uh, I, think, I, I don't know what people think I'm hurting because of what I went through because of the core or previous years or what didn't hurt. I don't know, but I just want to let people know I'm ready. I'm going to be ready to go whenever time comes. Whoever I sign with, I'll get the best version of me. I'm working. I'm working. I'm staying. I'm staying. I'm staying ahead of schedule. I'm working. And I'm, I'm going to be ready to go when uh, training camp starts and whoever I sign to is looking for the best of the day. 
Clowney also talked about how he's had a few offers, but at this moment isn't in a rush. I got a few, but the process for me is really just weighing my options and taking my time. I ain't in no rush right now. I know with the with what's going on right now in the world with the coronavirus and everything, it's a slow process until people, until the team really can see me and see what I got and give me physicals and everything. So I ain't in no rush. I just uh, waiting on the right opportunity and the right timing for me. It's all about timing and opportunity. So uh, just stay focused, stay locked in, stay working, and uh, it's going to present itself when the time is right. Clowney did say that he's open to a return to Seattle. Good news for Seahawks fans um, and mentioning a couple people that he really enjoyed playing with. I love Seattle. I was there this past year. I love everybody on the coaching staff. Uh, I went I went trade them guys in. Uh, you know, I hope we can work something out if anything happened. I, I did like it up there. Uh, I love Russ. I love all the guys I played with. Jay Reed and B. Jack, all them boys in my D room. Uh, I respect them guys. Both Seahawks GM John Schneider and Coach Pete Carroll have talked about in recent weeks they haven't closed the door on bringing Clowney back if things would work out. This was John Schneider uh, just at the end of last month around the draft. Well, we don't shut the door on anything, really. I mean, that's it's uh, you know we we we, we uh, basically with Clowney just I mean let's put it out there we you know he he did a great job for us. He's been you know, he was amazing this past year. Uh, we were in negotiations with his agent for a long time. And, and, uh, you know, at some point you need to move on and keep conducting business. And it's not, it's not, it's, it's not, uh, Jadavian's fault. It's nobody's fault, but you know, we just, you have to keep, you have to keep moving, man, you know, or, or, uh, you're going to, you're going to get beat. Jadavian Clowney just saying ultimately though, that he's looking forward to going out there and hitting somebody. Just looking forward to it. Uh... <laughs> my hands on somebody man get back going out there hit so uh, i missed that part i'm about ready yesterday espn host trey wingo joining danny and gallant to talk about the seahawks general approach to the pass rush can it work can it work absolutely it can i think one of the reasons that Jadavian is still in the market is their concerns about how healthy he is and you want to make sure that you give him the the once over with your doctors before you do that like it's not surprising to me that the first overall pick of 2014 and 2011 uh, and Cam Newton are still on the market because there are injury concerns there. I think if those guys had gotten through the season healthy, they would have been off the market by now. I think Everson Griffin still remains unsigned, right? I don't think – I think he's out there as well. Trey Wingo also saying, though, that this may lead to a lot of pressure on a new draft pick, Daryl Taylor. Um, there's going to be a lot of pressure on Daryl Taylor, right? I, they moved up to get him, uh, and uh, I, I think they moved up. To, I, so much happened. They did. They, they, That's they correct. did move up to get him, right? Yes, they did. Yeah, you're talking about a guy who's going to replace potentially Jadeveon Clowney, who we can all see how disruptive he can be. And we're talking about a team that, what, had 28 sacks last year for Seattle? So, you know, I think there's a lot of pressure on him to go in there and produce right away. Trey Wingo also with some thoughts on the NFC West in general. He says that's the Seahawks' biggest problem, biggest obstacle. Well, the, the problem for the Seahawks, look, they were one play away from the number one seat, right? I mean... The problem for the mm-hmm. the problem for the, the uh, Seahawks is the division. You can make an argument that that the NFC West is the deepest division in football because in the new playoff format we'll have uh, this year, the Rams would have been the seventh seed. So you would have had three three out of the four teams uh, in the NFC West make the playoffs last year. Who is the best team in the NFC in Trey's mind? But to me, I, I think it's I think it's still the Saints. And again, you know, the Seahawks have to be considered because I, they were one play away from the one seed. Uh, and it, it, and the last 
play in the last game of the regular season. So, you know, um, I, I, they're, they're there. The problem is the NFC West is going to be brutal. Yeah, thanks a lot, NFC West. Just keep getting better. Up next on the Blitz, we get to hear from Greg Olson, one of the newest Seahawk members, on why Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll swayed him in his decision to come to Seattle, how he feels being a veteran player and his relationship with mentoring and bringing up younger players, plus how did he feel about Will Ferrell impersonating him? It's next on the Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Wednesday, May 6th. The Seahawks tight end room shaping up to be pretty interesting competition this year. Pretty stacked at this point and a lot of fan favorites in that room as well. Uncle Will. Luke Wilson, Jacob Hollister, adding Greg Olson, though, this offseason, giving Russell Wilson a veteran uh, presence and someone who has accomplished a lot in his career. Greg Olson speaking with reporters yesterday on how being with a new team sort of re-energized him. I've really enjoyed it. I've been really kind of like re-energized. You know, you don't sit in meetings now after 100 years just looking at the clock waiting for it to get over because you've heard it you know, a thousand times or everything I hear now is really the first time I've ever heard it. And there's kind of a sense of, of newness to it. That's been really exciting for me. And uh, I love hearing how other people do things. I love trying to blend maybe what I'm used to and now how they want it done and trying to find how that matches together. So it's been, uh, I've really enjoyed that whole process and I, I anticipate enjoying it even more when we obviously can do it in person. We've seen Greg dip his toe into the broadcasting arena, and he's done a great job at it. He had that as an option, perhaps uh, exploring that or retiring, but Greg Olson also reassuring reassuring people that he wouldn't play if he felt like a shell of his former self. I I told him, I said, I'm not just doing this. You know, to collect a paycheck and just extend my career. You know, I, I've done all that. I'm looking to go somewhere and win and perform at a high level and contribute. And I'm not looking to ruin the end, you know, ruin my career's work by just being a shell of myself in year 14. Like if I thought that was the case, I would have retired. Um, but I know what I can still do. I know how my body feels. And, uh, you know, there's nothing that I can't do now that I haven't been able to do you know, years back, and, and I'm excited to to join this group. Greg Olson also on familiarity with the Seahawks after playing them so often. Felt like we played Carolina so many times over the last few years, but Greg Olson saying that's now working in his favor. This organization has been a group that obviously we have had a lot of history with, especially my years in, in Carolina, but even back my last my last season in Chicago. You know, we played, we played Seattle, and... Um, in the playoffs that year when I was in the bears in 2010. So this is an organization with, with coach Carroll and, and now obviously with Russ and, and, and John Schneider, they, they've put a, a organization that doesn't go up and down. They're, they're very consistent. You look at the last decade of work, they're at the top of the list. And uh, that really appealed to me. Um, a lot of the, the traits and the qualities of the Seattle organization were things that I really took pride in and I really valued in my own career. Speaking of that career, how much carryover uh, continuity-wise is there here in Seattle from Greg Olson's days in Carolina 
and Chicago. Team-wise, I think a lot of teams in the league run similar concepts. You know, run game is run game. Um, you know, there's only so many run plays that are run. So from that regard, blocking schemes and, and techniques and all that is fairly similar. But from a terminology perspective, it's it's quite different from just what I've been exposed to for a while. Um, you know, both run and pass game. So again, it's it's we're all saying the same words. We're just you, you know, we're all saying the same thing. We're just kind of using different words. And and that's been, you know, what I've spent a lot of my time is just being able to make sure that I can communicate. Yeah, I know I got to run 10 yards and break out, but when I come back to communicate with the coaches or the players or whoever, like I got to make sure I'm speaking their language because what I call a six route, they don't know what I'm talking about because that's the language that I've always talked in. So that that responsibility falls on me to kind of rewire how I see football and how I talk football so that I can be on the same page with with everybody else. That's that's my responsibility. Greg Olson also on his relationship with uh, Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson and that factoring into his decision. Actually, I want to play you this cut from John Schneider back when Greg Olson signed with Seattle and and how that relationship with Russ played into it. Definitely. Uh, you know, Russ was down at the at the Super Bowl with him, too, and those two had been talking a bunch. You know, obviously he was released, uh, I think, the, right before that weekend or right after the Super Bowl weekend. And uh, so we just got on him as quickly as we could and, and uh, got him in, <clears throat> had a great visit with him, great guy, going to help that room a bunch. You know, you know, Will's coming off his injury. Um, Dixon was injured last year. Um, you know, we'd love to have Luke back as well. Um, but this, this is doing great. Greg's going to wear 88. You know, this, I guess they, they worked out a deal and the, the, money's, going, the money's going to Disley's uh, uh, charity of his choice, which is pretty cool. Seems like a pretty good deal. But Greg Olson then also commenting on whether Pete and Russell swayed his decision to come to Seattle. The only real two guys that I've ever been coached at the tight end position by, one was in Buffalo and one was in Washington. And those were the two teams that, you know, were other possibilities. So those were hard conversations. Uh, I really, you know, went back and forth. But at the end of the day, you know, between what Coach Carroll has built here, the consistency, the enthusiasm, every guy that I reached out to and talked to both on the team now or in the past, everybody said the same exact thing. And everything that I had experienced firsthand from playing on the other side against against him and against this group, it really solidified a lot of the, you know, kind of the thoughts that I had about what the organization stood for and what they were all about. Um, and then, of course, obviously, Russell makes a, is a huge factor into that. Um, I've been fortunate to play with Cam for a long time. Now to continue, you know, go play with, you know, arguably the top guy in the league. I've been very fortunate in my career to play with really talented guys at the quarterback position. And, you know, Russ is obviously at the top of that list. I loved this comment, too, from Greg Olson about his job and his mind being adjusting his game to the quarterback, not vice versa. I've always viewed my role as, you know, it's, it's my job to adjust and to see things the way the quarterback sees them. It's not the other way around. Um, I've always believed that. So when it was with Cam, I needed to see things through Cam's eyes and I needed to make sure I understood what his mind was thinking, where he was expecting me to be, what reactions and set, you know, and things like that were going to happen based on certain situations. And that came with time and that came with reps. And, you know, we played a long time together and, completed a lot of passes together 
And I anticipate having that same kind of approach with Russ. And, and we've had great dialogue and we've spent a lot of time on calls just talking through things. And, and I tell him, I say, hey, man, if I don't do things the way you see it or the way you want it done, don't hesitate because just because I think it's right, if you don't see it that way, it doesn't help anybody. After the draft was completed and the Seahawks added two more tight ends to their roster, Colby Parkinson out of Stanford and Stephon Sullivan out of LSU. Stephon, though, also listed as a wide receiver. So we'll see where he uh, fills in on the roster. But Pete Carroll mentioning that there's lots of competition now going on with the tight end group, but Greg Olson leading the way. Yeah, I'm really excited. But, you know, always, you know, I'm, you're, you're going to hear me every time go right back to the competition. It can't, it can't be better than this one. The guys are different, too. We have unique players. And Greg is going to be such a good leader in this group. He's been such a dynamic football player. I would really hope that everybody's going to be better because he's in this group. Uh, he is so versatile and can do so much, and he understands the game with such great depth. So he'll he'll take a lead on that. I know that – I mean, just take Will Disley. Will's going to learn a ton from Greg. And Will has been a very exciting player when he's been available to us. So we'll see how he goes. The whole group. So others uh, that – uh, Uncle Will, Billy Bozeman, pretty excited about Greg joining the team. He mentioned that when he was on with Danny and Gallant uh, just a little while ago. But I also thought this was interesting. Greg mentioning that he doesn't mind guys getting drafted at his position or being here to mentor those young guys. But he also wants to play. You know, I've been used to being the old guy now for a while. Um, you know, that, that doesn't really change much to me. Uh, it doesn't change really anything at all. Um, and I was very upfront with with the team. You know, I'm always happy and willing to bring along young guys. When I was when I was drafted in Chicago, I had a lot of veterans, both tight ends and other positions, that really looked out for me. They were not afraid. They didn't view me as a threat. They didn't view me as someone trying to take their job. Like, let's help bring everybody along. And and those are things that I still feel. You know, those are things that I still cherish today and really appreciate. You know, and at the same time, while I'm going to be an open book and share where I can share and help where I can help. You know, I, I told the team, you know, don't bring me in. If you just want me to be like the big brother in the locker room, like I'm here to play first and foremost. It's cool to hear from Greg Olson coming up next on the blitz. It was also great to hear from Steve Rabel yesterday. One of those things that's uh, comforting in these times, uncertain times is hearing familiar voices on the radio or nostalgia too, right? Watching old games that you have so many great memories of and the fail Mary game, uh, or as Mina Kimes calls it, dubbed it the totally legitimate touchdown game was on the other night. Steve Rabel on rewatching that game, the 2012 defense and what made them so great. He's next right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Wednesday, May 6th. Hope everyone's doing safe and well out there. Had a great Cinco de Mayo, a great May the 4th. Just a jam-packed week so far. Speaking of which, we got to hear from Steve Rabel yesterday. They re-aired the Fail Mary game this week. And as some view it, the totally legitimate touchdown game. But it's always good to hear from Steve Rabel on 
I'm rewatching that game and the 2012 defense. It's not just that final play, but you watch the, the game in its entirety again, and you really get a sense for how great this defense already was. I mean, it started in 2011 towards the end of the season with a couple of guys who were already there, but the beginning of 2012, this defense was really playing at a high level, and I'm not sure that any of us really were able to recognize it for what it was because it was just that early. Do you remember how you thought of them at that point? You know, it's it's difficult. Uh, I, for remembering where I parked a car earlier is, today is difficult, <laughs> but uh, I went back and I watched some of that game last night, and it astounded me how well that defense played. Now, now that last drive, Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know, their their scoring drive or field goal drive, I mean, he, he was – um, just kind of picking them apart, but everything was underneath and, you know, hold it to the last minute and all that and, and guys rallying up to make tackles. To watch the speed of that defense with Bruce Irvin coming off the corner and, uh, and Alan Branch made big plays and Clinton McDonald made big plays and Bobby Wagner was a rookie and he was flying around the field. And then here you're watching uh, Cam and Earl and Richard and uh, Brandon Browner was a beast I, I had forgotten how good a football player he was and how intimidating he was that's the reason i think i mean russell played great the whole season as a rookie quarterback no question but that defense was soon to become one of the all-time greats in the national football league and it, and they showed it the following year that's what set the table for what was to come that defense when watching that game last night you mentioned the defense it's something that really kind of struck me. Obviously, you had Richard Sherman, Brandon Browner, Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor back there flying around and hitting people and, and playing with tremendous aggression. Do you think it's a good you know, reset of the eyes? Because it's still the same defensive scheme. It's still the same philosophy that Pete Carroll has for this defense now in 2020. Is a good reset of the eyes to remind you of what this defense can be and what the ultimate goal is to try and get it to be? Well, yeah, that, that's a, it's, a, it's a good point, Jake, and, and you would hope that they can get back to that level of play. But remember, when you look at that team and you look at that defense and you look at the players on that defense and then you think about how many of the players on that team all around, not just on defense but the whole team, how they were able to piece that team together – because they had a rookie quarterback who was making about, uh, I don't know, two hundred and fifty, $300,000 a year. And so you could afford to put guys on, on that team like a Chris Clemens uh, who was uh, you know, coming off the corner as a reserve and, uh, and pick up veteran guys like Branch and, and Clinton McDonald. I mean, uh, that was one of the reasons that that defense, I think, was so successful. And then you put in around it, certainly. The great draft choices. I mean, it was unbelievable those couple of years where uh, they picked up all those guys, Cam and Earl and and Richard and Bobby and KJ. I mean, there, there's the nucleus of your Super Bowl championship team. I, I would love to think that they can that they can repeat that again. Um, you know, it's been eight years since that team was together, and and there'll never be another team quite like that one. But you have to start someplace, and they've started, I think, the last couple of years in sort of rebuilding that and retooling and, you know, saying that the Legion of Boom, uh, you know, is now that's a past time, and let's, let's rebuild once again around Bobby and KJ and, uh, and some young defenders. Uh, and, and, you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, but 
right now, this is a quarterback-driven team. Steve Rabel, full interview available for you on 710sports.com, hanging out with Tom, Jake, and Stacy yesterday. Later in the afternoon on Bob, Dave, and more, Ryan Roland-Smith, uh, the hyphen, joining the guys to chat about the potential return of baseball. It's been fun to watch some of the Korean baseball games uh, on ESPN. And Ryan Roland-Smith on how that could translate to baseball reopening here in this country. Hey, Ryan, we were we were talking about, you know, the return of sports and what it may look like for certain sports to play with no fans in the stands. And I and I made a statement that some agreed with, some disagreed with. I'm curious what you think. And I felt like baseball above the NBA, above the NFL would, would be able to still look the same with no fans because of the pace of the game. It's, it's stretched out and there are so many moments where it's just, you know, it, 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 it sort of uh, lingers, if you will. It's not a fast pace up tempo thing where momentum shifts all of a sudden with one made basket or one fumble or you know what i mean just the pace of the game lends itself to looking the same even though there are no fans i'm not saying it wouldn't be better with fans buck showalter i think said oh the the players they need it to get through 162 games they need that energy of the fans what what do you think Do do you feel like baseball needs it as much as the other sports i mean it's a really good question i agree with buck showalter it's something when you're in AAA, all of a sudden get called up. It's completely different. It's it's the 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 energy boost you get being in front of a huge crowd Friday, Saturday night is massive. Like, yeah, it's something that you know I really miss as a, as a former athlete. But um, you make a really good point. I, I, you know, with, with, it, I, I guess it too depends on yeah you know, two sides of it. If I'm sitting at home watching the game, and you know, in, in basketball, you always get those shots of the fans. You know, that that's. So that center court camera it always kind of shows the fans big, big shot and it's kind of like a, a, a big you know big basket gets made to have that wide shot so you can kind of see the fans reaction baseball you can, can totally limit that i think from a viewer viewer standpoint i i think it'd be extremely difficult the first plan they, they wanted to roll out was you know, having every team in arizona or florida at a spring training venue or even at, at, at um yeah the d-backs place i can't see the red sox versus yankees give you that example in Arizona, I just think it'll just people. You know, it's a tough crowd. When you're watching pro sports in the states, people are really appreciated. Would really appreciate to get sports back on, but I think it gets to a point where it'd just be like uh, aesthetically pleasing. It just doesn't have that. But I think you, you do make a good point. I think you can totally, yeah, you know, from that standpoint, and you know, from a viewership standpoint, completely limit the the dress like a seat and not look in the stadium. That's for sure. But the, on the flip side of the player, uh, it, it, it would start to drag. That's for sure. You get a month in with no fans, oh, that'd be tough. Trust me, I've played some you know, Arizona Fall League or Wookiee Ball. You get no fans in the seats. Now, the adrenaline, you have to somehow manufacture that because you do need that, that noise to get you going. Well, I know probably nobody cares about this except maybe you and me. Have you thought about what it's going to be like to call a game if you are there? I mean, a lot of times you rely on the on the crowd noise to kind of fill in some of the spaces. And it seems like you're going to have to work a little harder, Ryan, if you're calling a game or something. I mean, there's going to be there's going to be a lot of silence in uh, in the, the place where there used to be, you know, people yelling and screaming. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And, and even when, like, there's been times where, yeah, Mariners on a Tuesday night when they're, you know, deep into the season, not winning many games. There's a big home run, but there's no one there to see it. All of a sudden, you want to try and get excited, and you have to manufacture a little bit because you don't have that crowd noise. I'll give you a perfect example. When James Paxton tore his no-hitter, in my, I was sitting in a studio, 
And, you know, Dave, you, you, can, you can back this up too. When you're sitting in a studio, it's completely different to being actually at the game. So the, the game was in Toronto. We were sitting at, at Rich Sports in the studio, and, and everyone's excited. The, the announcers are excited because, you know, the place was jumping over there in Toronto. And they're like, oh, hey, Ryan, we're going back to you. And I'm sitting there in this dead silence studio, and I'm like, man, this is really cool, but I need to start manufacturing some energy because I'm sitting in, I'm sitting in complete silence. So I had to really sort of push myself to, to sound... I was excited, but to sound enthusiastic um, in, in, a, in, a, in basically a dead room. So definitely, I think it would be a challenge. Um, you know, baseball needs some more excitement as it is. Three hours is a long time. They're trying to do everything they can. So that's going to be a massive challenge to, to hear how these guys sound if they start to lull a little bit with no, no fans in the seats. The hyphen, the one and only Ryan Roland-Smith, joining Bob Dave and more yesterday. Also, full interview available for you at 710sports.com. Well, speaking of KBO, the Korean Baseball Organization and their games, what could MLB take from their plan and the precautions they have in place? And how soon could those be implemented? It's next in the hot list right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. It's time for The Hot List. Holy mackerel! The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 6.45. Heck yes! What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go! Changers are coming to the NCAA as we uh, learned in the past just two weeks, NCAA opened to the idea of student-athletes being able to make money off their likeness and endorsements, but how will that be implemented? Also, just kind of a stopgap measure because governments and state governments were pushing for this to happen, so their hand kind of forced in this. But there's been even further talk now because the NCAA in a lot of people's minds is very flawed and broken, according to Paul Feinbaum. But how the Power Five or potentially all all uh, all conferences could end up breaking away from the NCAA in a few years. It was this week on the Paul Feinbaum podcast that he actually talked to uh, Michael Sue, who is the Minnesota regent about this very subject and he talked about how in his mind the NCAA is broken. There are just so many people who don't want to get in the way of um, the current system. I mean obviously now the, the system is broken and because of the pandemic it may be it, it may never get back to normal as you know and I know you talk about this a lot on the show but um, we're just in a place where the NCAA, NCAA is broke and um, I, I can't wait till they start asking the members for money which is probably going to be within the next year. He also talked about how the Power Five could break away from the NCAA in the next couple of years. I wouldn't be surprised to see the Power Five, you know, move away from the NCAA. Uh, the only problem is you have all the other parts of the NCAA, you know, and all their infractions and committees and committee after committee that are going to have to realign if something like that happens. But I can totally see it happening. I think it could happen pretty soon within the next couple of years. I mean, it just depends on what everybody wants. If if at the end of this pandemic, everyone says, hey, we need to keep everybody together and let's let's coalesce and sing Kumbaya and all that kind of stuff, you could see that happening. But I think that would be a kind of a temporary short-term process where people are going to realize that it's not going to work. 
This is a, a crazy story. Hall of Famer Patrick Ewing revealed on Tuesday on the Dan Patrick Show uh, that his two Olympic gold medals, plus his NCAA championship ring, were stolen from his home. He told Dan that his house got broken into in New York, and at one point they stole his medals. He called Jerry Colangelo, and he was great to be able to get me two replacement medals, Ewing said. He took care of me, he said. He's a great guy. Ewing won the 92 medal as part of the Dream Team, the United States' first roster of primarily professional players, and we got to see some cool snippets of that. The behind-the-scenes practice footage, the practice game that I can't even imagine being in person to watch, where uh, Jordan and Magic are just trash-talking up a storm. That would have been so fun. But crazy story. Glad he got those replaced. He said his championship ring that he won with Georgetown was also taken, but someone eventually tried to sell it on eBay, so he was able to get it back. The Korean Baseball Organization started up this week, opened their season, and giving us some live baseball to watch on television. Also giving the MLB an example to work with in terms of how an organization is working with precautionary measures and health and safety measures to continue and reopen sports. Uh, Dan Straley, who played in the MLB very recently, but is now a pitcher for the Giants and the KBO, he talked about what the most significant difference is. They uh, they they were playing music during the game. Like if you're like at an NBA game, like just like playing music, that was a big difference. Uh, took a little bit of getting used to. Uh, they did have some cardboard cutouts around, and then they had like a whole bunch of fans like on Zoom on this big video board, um, kind of chiming in and, and dancing at home along with the cheerleaders and. Uh, yeah, just some of the fake, uh, some of the fake fans they had in the outfield. It was just, it was a little different, but uh, you know, just again, just can't say enough like how blessed we are just to be able to play some games. Feeling good about that, Eduardo Perez also uh, talking about how players would feel. There's been some mixed reactions, at least heard mixed reactions to the proposals uh, here by the MLB, whether that's playing in a biodome of sorts, uh, living in relative isolation in certain pods um, but Ed, Eduardo uh, Perez on players and how they would approve of the KBO plan that's currently in place I would say there would be a hundred percent it's gonna be different no doubt I mean in the KBO there's no sitting on the field or anything like that you're gonna have to still keep your distance respect it with your teammates I mean these guys even in the locker room they are masked up they're making sure that they they take care of themselves they're following the rules the umpires are masked up. There's many things, but Major League Baseball, in order to get the game back on the field and to entertain the fans, yes, we're doing it with KBO, and we're respecting the game. That's one thing we are doing, but we all want Major League Baseball back. We know that, and um, we want to see the stars, our stars, back on the field. Trey Mancini, Orioles right fielder on the possibility of returning this season. Yeah, and the players trade being pleased, I did say probably in that sentence. And that's I didn't want to totally close the door on that being a possibility. I, I think I could. Um, I know the treatments can take a toll on you more and more as they go on. But um, I, I think there's a chance, especially if I can keep working out throughout all this and, and try to keep my, my strength up and, and everything like that. I think a good goal would to maybe be appearing in a game, especially if the season were to be extended. Um, that, would, that would probably help my chances, too. Trey Mancini also talking about his recent cancer diagnosis, and that's really what he's talking about there on the possibility still of him being able to play baseball, not only uh, amid the coronavirus pandemic, but 
what he's dealing with personally, he also talked about how baseball has really helped him with fighting cancer, which is pretty incredible. As for the NFL, we know at least that we are going to get the NFL schedule tomorrow. And a lot of people wondering why now, why at this time when it's unnecessary? What are you going to be looking for on that schedule? Jeff Schwartz on ESPN yesterday talking about what he'll be looking for. Bye week, Thursday night football, cold weather games, you know, kind of revenge games if you have one. And that's that's it, right? And, and primetime games. Because primetime games, yes. I, I like playing primetime games, but after a while they kind of get tedious. I mean, they're they're late they're late nights. They're not uh, you know the travel can be far, especially if you know if you're the, you know like the Giants. We always play the Cowboys uh, Sunday night football when I was there. But we had we had a Sunday night football game week one. We were delayed on the tarmac for three hours. I didn't get back home until almost nine a.m. Uh, in uh, walking my house in Paramus. Like it's it's a long night sometimes playing those road primetime games. So some of us. Uh, don't like them very much. I mean, I, I think a lot of us would just prefer to play at one o'clock and, and be done with it. Um, so those are things we're looking at. Bye week, man. Bye week at Thursday nights. One of those out. I'd rather have Thursday week three, four, five. Have my bye week about nine or ten. Um, and that's what we look at first. I know it sounds odd, but it's schedule planning, right? So your family knows. Hey, this one week, I get my husband back. I get my I get my uh, my dad back. Uh, get my family guy back. We'll go on a vacation. We'll, we'll get a mental break. It's more mental than anything else. And so, something to look forward to um, is that uh, is that first uh, that first bye week. And um, yeah, that's the first thing, man. We run right to schedule and scan where the bye week is. Former NFL O lineman still thinking with that player mentality when he sees the schedule. Uh, as for the NFL players themselves and how they feel about coming back. Well, Dr. Tom Mayer, NFL PA medical director, joined Adam Schefter this week on his podcast to talk about league safety and how it's more important than the schedule. Schedule to me is the map. It's fine to put it out. Uh, That's really between me and Roger. But until we can solve the equation of how do we protect players and their families, as well as the the, uh, group of people who are around them, as I said, coaches and staff, trainers, and physicians, that's where the compass is. The compass is how do we protect them? How do we maintain health and safety? You know that we our guiding lights in terms of the NFLPA, number one, health and safety are non-negotiable. Number two, we'll go anywhere the science takes us, but nowhere it doesn't. And number three, whole player, whole life, whole family. So put those three together, that's what we have to solve for, not a somewhat arbitrary schedule. Dr. Tom Mayer, uh, the NFL PA medical director, also saying keeping fans safe, it's an ethical issue. We know we owe that to the to the communities. We owe that to, I mean, one of our subcommittees is, is medical ethics, is ethics. You know, I'm not disclosing any discussions of that subcommittee, but the issue was raised about, you know, what are our ethical obligations to the fans and what are the fans' ethical obligations to the broader community? Yesterday, we also got to hear from Jadevian Clowney. Uh, free agency has been frustrating for him at times, but yesterday he wanted to make sure he put the message out there for any team still having reservations about signing him. He's healthy and ready to go. He spoke to Fox 26 in Houston yesterday, talking first off about how free agency was frustrating at first. When I first free agency opened up, I was, I was getting fed up with it. It was nerve-wracking. But as, I, as it set in and as you start hearing about stuff going on, you just start saying, you know what, Bumpy, just get back to doing what you can. Just control what you can control the part as, as me training and uh, let them know I still can go. I'm 27 years old. Uh, I 
love this game and just want to go out there and compete at a high level. And I'm going to always do that no matter where I play. I'm going to compete at a high level. I can do that. Clowney saying that he's focused on his rehab. That was part of the equation that he can control from the core muscle surgery that he had. And that started two weeks after he had the procedure. And it's pretty intense. Uh, he's been training for two months at Plex in Houston. He also said he's had a few offers but isn't in a rush as of now. I got a few, but the process for me is really just weighing my options and taking my time. I ain't in no rush right now. I know with the, with what's going on right now in the world with the coronavirus and everything. It's a slow process until people, so the team really can see me and see what I got and to give me physicals and everything. So I ain't in no rush. I just uh, waiting on the right opportunity and the right timing for me. It's all about timing and opportunity. So uh, just stay focused, stay locked in, stay working, and uh, it's going to present itself when the time is right. Both John Schneider and Pete Carroll have mentioned in recent weeks that they haven't closed the door on bringing back Clowney, and he said he's definitely open to returning. Really enjoyed his time here. I love Seattle when I was there this past year. I love everybody on the coaching staff. Uh, I went I went and traded them guys in. Uh, you know, I hope we can work something out if anything happened. I, I did like it up there. Uh, I love Russ. I love all the guys I played with, Jay Reed and B-Jack, all them boys in my D-room. Uh, I respect them guys. He's also just looking forward to getting back out on the fields and hitting some people. Just looking forward to it. Uh, get my hands on somebody, man. Get back going out there and hit. So uh, I missed that part. And I'm about ready. But where uh, could he end up? And could it be Seattle? That continues. That discussion uh, on Danny and Gallant. It's coming your way next right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.